It's so cool to see how God is growing people in this church, isn't it? And one of the things that I love even about that video, that video was made by volunteers, uh, Jason and Joel. Uh, it's just, it's so cool to see how God is, is using and uh, is, is growing us uh, as a church and, and, and expanding who we are. It's just, just so cool to see. And uh, this morning, uh, obviously I know you weren't here, but uh, we got to celebrate baptism here, which was just so cool. Uh, and Oleg and Allie, uh, they got to share their stories, and they were baptized, and it's just beautiful uh, to see just fresh transformation in the life of another person, and, uh, you know, it's, it's taking that, that work that God is doing on the inside and allowing it to be public and, and sharing it with others, and uh, it's just so cool to see what God is doing here. And there's lots of different ways that we communicate our devotion to God and we communicate our love for God. Uh, One of the things that we do here on a regular basis is we receive an offering. And the reason we do that uh, is it's a way for us to say back to God in an act of worship, God, I trust you with everything that you've given to me. I trust you with the resources that you've put in my hands, and I want to give them back to you. And I know that many of us, Jared and I, we do this online, and many of you do this online, but we do it in our worshiping gatherings because we believe that it is an act of worship by by taking what God has given to us and giving it back to him. So in a moment, we're going to do that uh, as I start my message, and uh, I just wanted to let you know that was coming. In the last three weeks, we, uh, we've been in this series called Operation Transformation. And Jarrett's done a phenomenal job of helping us see what it looks like uh, to be in a life that is on the progression of being transformed by God. And we looked at our beliefs, we looked at our stories, and last week we looked at our desires. And this evening what I want to do is I want to open God's Word and I want to study God's Word and I want to see what God has to say to us about the role of discipline in our life and why it is so essential to us being transformed. And so I'd love to begin by praying together. So if you wouldn't mind praying with us, uh, praying with me, that would be great. Father, I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for their life. I thank you for all that you're doing inside of them. And I pray most importantly tonight, God, that you would speak. That you would move in this room. That you would remind us of your love that for some you would challenge, maybe convict, and God, that you would push all of us into a deeper and closer relationship with you. We love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I'm sure uh, you've been in a conversation with another person before, uh, or maybe it's been with a group of people, and they start talking about something, and the conversation starts to get a little bit heated. Uh, And it it becomes evident to you quite quickly that the person that is sharing their feelings has a very different opinion than you do on the topic that they're talking about. Maybe you've been in a conversation like this. Uh, One of the most classic examples is when people start talking about sports, right? I mean, people have very, very strong feelings about sporting teams. I have very strong feelings about a particular team that's in Florida. Uh, It's just, I'll let them be unnamed, but I have strong feelings about them. And so when I start talking about it, you know, I start to 
feel emotion. And, and when people start talking about, you know, maybe the school that they went to or, or the team that they cheer for, uh, they, they have a lot of emotions that start to surface. In fact, just the other day, I was at the gym, and uh, a, a guy was talking to a girl, and I was, I was right there, and I was sort of um, observing their conversation uh, and, and just sort of watching what was happening. And I could tell that it wasn't just like a, you know, like putting our shoes on conversation, get out the door. It, I could tell he was trying to make this conversation into something more. So I was curious to see if he was going to succeed. And, uh, and so I was observing the conversation, and, and I watched him, and he was like, so, where'd you go to school? And she was like, oh, I, I went to Indiana University. And, and she was like, where'd you go to school? And he's like, oh, I went to Purdue. And, and it instantly, I could tell, like, the, the degrees, like, dropped 10 degrees in the, in the gym. Like, it got chilly all of a sudden, you know. It, the warmth that was growing was not really growing anymore. And uh, I, I don't know if anybody walked out with a phone number that day. Uh, because uh, you may or may not know this, uh, but Indiana and Purdue, they've always been big rivals. And so when people start talking about them, they have very strong feelings about it. You know, and maybe it's not sports for you. Uh, maybe you've been in conversations with, with others, and they start talking about politics, right? And, and they start talking about, you know, the, the party that, that they vote for and the, and the party that they believe in, and, and you might be in the other party. And, I mean, it gets heated, doesn't it? I mean, people have very strong feelings when they start talking about politics, or, or maybe it has to do with dating philosophies. Uh, maybe you've been in a conversation with a bunch of bunch of people and they, and they start mentioning, you know, well, this is how I feel about dating and this is how I feel about dating, or, or maybe it has to do with eating and exercise. But people have very strong opinions about certain topics, and, and when they start sharing those opinions and somebody has a differing view, they're often very resistant to hear that opposing view, aren't they? Aren't they? And I entered into one of these conversations that I didn't even realize I was sort of being thrust into about six years ago, where there is a lot of opinion and there are a lot of strong feelings. And that is the parenting conversation. And let me tell you, uh, parents have a lot of opinions about how to parent their children and how to parent every other child in the world. Uh, you know, there's views on how to birth, okay? You, you could get a bunch of uh, people together, and they could start talking about how to birth, and, and it could go hours. The conversation could go hours upon hours, and, and there's lots of feelings about should there be drugs or should there not be drugs? And I was very pro-drugs twice. Um, I, that was easy for me to vote and to weigh in on that one. Um, there are views on how to diaper a baby, uh, should they be cloth diapers or should they be disposable diapers? There are views on how to feed a baby. There are very strong views on how to ba- let a baby sleep. Um, there are strong views on whether a parent should stay home or whether they should go back to work. Uh, how to educate. Should it be private or public or homeschooling? Uh, and probably one of the biggest conversations with lots of deep, passionate viewpoints is when it comes to the conversation of discipline. You get a bunch of parents in a room, and, and they start talking about how a child should be disciplined, and you are going to observe quite a bit of emotion. In fact, the whole industry of, of disciplining a child, it is literally a million-dollar industry. 
There are books and there are seminars and there are parents that literally travel around and train people how to discipline their child. Now, while there are tons of different perspectives on how to discipline a child, I have yet to meet a person that does not share the exact same viewpoint when it comes to discipline of a child than when everybody walks onto an airplane and they see that there is a child on that airplane. Every single person, when they walk onto the airplane, they share the exact same discipline viewpoint. They want to make sure that that parent is really good at disciplining their child, don't they? I mean, literally, maybe you've seen this, maybe this has happened to you before, but you walk onto a plane, and literally your first line of sight is you see a parent sort of, you know, like 20 rows back. And you see that this parent is traveling by themselves. And then you see three children, like, around this parent. And maybe one of the children is, like, you know, climbing over the seat. Another one's trying to get into the overhead compartment. One of them is crying. And literally, your first thought, and you're lying if this isn't your first thought, is like, oh, dear God, please let my seat number be 20 rows away from them. I mean, every single person, when they get on a plane, that's the first thought that they have. I mean, they start like making deals and barters with God. They're like, Lord, when this plane lands, I will go to a third world country if somehow you bump me up to first class. Like you literally, you start thinking through it and, and you literally, you start thinking like, maybe this parent like went through the Navy f- SEALs and, and that's their parenting philosophy. You know, they have like a, a no tolerance discipline in their house. You know, it's like no crying on planes, no kicking of seat backs, you know, no temper tantrums allowed, no loud songs, you know, and, and this is your hope that this parent is going to, you know, parent their child this way while on the plane. And in that moment, there is not a person on the planet, even the people that love children, that don't appreciate a parent that has a clear and consistent strategy when it comes to discipline. Because you know that you're going to sit with that child for the next couple hours, and you're going to reap whatever that parent sowed into that child, right? And discipline is, is kind of one of those topics that yields lots and lots of opinions right away because it's the kind of topic that beneath the surface has many emotions. And, and the word discipline, it really refers to a person who is in a learning process, refers to a person that is really in a learning process. It describes both the process and the result. Because when you think of being disciplined, it's the process, essentially, of being corrected. It's the process of being instructed so that you can become more disciplined. You see, you cannot become a disciplined person without going through healthy discipline. It's not possible. You can't become a disciplined person without going through healthy discipline. So the question begs to be asked, why do so many of us resist discipline? Why do so many of us not move towards discipline? I mean, if it's essential to our growth and if it's essential to our transformation, then why don't we move towards it? I mean, very few people desire to be disciplined, desire to be corrected, desire to be challenged. 
My kids have never come down the stairs in the morning and said to me, good morning, mother. I was wondering if I could start my day in a timeout because what I would love to do is I would love to grow in self-control and in patience. That has never, ever, ever happened in my household. If that happened in our house, I would, I would fall over and I would faint. Discipline produces so many emotions in us because it reminds us of being corrected. It reminds us of being rebuked. It reminds us of being challenged. Or perhaps discipline was administered in your life in really unhealthy ways. And so for you, when you think of discipline, it conjures a lot of pain in your mind. Or perhaps you've had unhealthy spiritual discipline. And in that unhealthy spiritual discipline that was directed into your life, the result result was feeling condemned or judged, or perhaps even punished. But God's view of discipline, it differs greatly from that. In fact, one of the best ways to translate and to even really define what the word discipline means in the Bible is the word nurture. And this is actually a form of how God lovingly grows us up. That when the Bible speaks of discipline, the best way to translate the word in the Bible is to translate it as the word nurture. That God's discipline is a nurturing discipline. That God's discipline never comes from anger or punishment, but instead it comes from the heart of a loving parent. And I'm sure uh, your parents maybe said to you once or twice, or if you are a parent, maybe you've said this or, or you've observed somebody else saying this. You know, a child is, is in trouble or a child's about to receive some discipline. And, and the, what does the parent say? The parent always starts by saying, you know, I hate that I have to do this. And, and this really, this, this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you, right? I mean, you've, you've probably seen that. And every single kid is like, you are kidding me. This is really going to hurt me. You're not in any pain at all, right? But with God, his discipline, his discipline of us comes from the heart of a loving parent because he loves us and he longs for us to be fully transformed into all that he created us to be. So he disciplines us so that we can grow. And tonight what I want to do is I want to open up God's word and I want to study a passage that speaks of God's loving discipline as a parent. And uh, most weeks uh, we study from the Bibles in front of us. And uh, many of you probably know this. There's lots of different translations of the Bible. And the Bible in front of you is, uh, is it's, it's a TNIV translation. And, and if you want to, you can pick it up and you can read along there. But I'm going to actually have us study from another translation tonight. And we're going to study from the Message translation. And it's found in the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. Uh, and the chapter is Hebrews 12. Uh, so if you want to turn to the, the, uh, the page in your blue Bible, you can. It's, turn, it's page 1,115. Uh, but the rest of it's going to be up on the uh, screen. So we're going we're gonna to study this and we're going to go through this together over the next few moments. Hebrews 12. It starts out by saying this. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. So let's stop right there for a minute. Right in the beginning of this passage, 
It's saying don't run away when God disciplines you. It's not for the purpose of you being crushed or hurt, but it's for the purpose of love. That every single time God disciplines us, it is a clear sign of his embrace and his belief in us. And this is one of the areas that when I, when I talk with believers and when I talk with Jesus followers, this is actually an area of concern that I have for us. You see, I, I believe that many of us, um, we, are, we are in great acceptance of Jesus as our Savior. We are in great acceptance of Jesus as the one who sort of lifts us up out of the pit of sin and destruction in our life. But I often see a resistance to Jesus as Lord and parent in our life. There's a resistance to him parenting us, the one that leads us or corrects us or challenges us or even rebukes us. And for many of us, you know, we we want Jesus as Savior, but many of us are resistant to him as Lord and leader and parent. We want all of the benefits of grace, but none of the challenge that comes from discipline. And when we resist God's discipline, we resist him as parent. And we essentially say, you know, God, I I want this part of you, but but I I, I don't really, I'm not interested in you challenging me. I'm not interested in you rebuking me. I'm not interested in you calling me out in this sin in my life. And the thing is, is that God's character, it can't be divided up like that. You can't just receive his grace and and avoid his discipline. Because otherwise you're not experiencing the wholeness of God. So this passage goes on in Hebrews and it says this, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. And this trouble that you're in, it isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? So this passage says that God essentially is educating us, right? It says God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. And this is such an essential truth. In order for us to experience transformation, we must be receptive to discipline instead of resistant to discipline. God doesn't want us to sort of, you know, like walk away and pout and drop out of his class. He wants us to be receptive to his parenting because he says very clearly in this passage that it's not punishment, it's actually training. It is training for our transformation. You see, a receptive person looks really different from a resistant person, don't they? Like you think about the characteristics of a receptive person, then you think about the characteristics of a resistant person, they look really different, don't they? You can just sort of comb through the scriptures and, and you can see the different types of, of followers of, of God and, and whether they were receptive to him or whether they were resistant to him. I think about King David. Um, and he became receptive to God's correction in his life. And God what? He, he established his kingdom, didn't he? And he blessed his leadership. 
I believe that that was a direct connection to his receptiveness to God. And then you think about the Pharaoh of Egypt that was, that was reigning during the time of Moses. He was resistant to God. He had a hardened heart. And his leadership was never fully blessed. In fact, he faced great ruin in his life. There's a difference between being receptive and being resistant. In fact, I'd love for you uh, to just take a quick self-analysis right now. I'm going to read through a couple of descriptions of, of both a receptive person and a resistant person. And just in your mind, just, just listen to these and, and, and look and see, do you tend to be more receptive to God or are you more resistant? This first one, when I am corrected or confronted, I listen humbly and ask God to reveal the truth. That's the mark of a receptive person. But a resistant person, when I'm corrected or confronted, I'm stubborn and I try to prove why the correction is not accurate. A receptive person. I look for feedback and growth opportunities from trustworthy people. I seek wise counsel from mentors and friends and leaders. A resistant person. I don't have a lot of people that I consult or seek advice from because I don't really think there's a lot of wise people out there. You see the difference between receptive versus resistant. A receptive person, I seek to understand others before judging their intentions. A resistant person, I'm cynical and I rarely believe that others have good intentions. You can see the difference and the characteristics between somebody that is receptive to God and somebody that is resistant to him. Because it, it plays out in our relationships, doesn't it? Oftentimes, if, if we're receptive in our relationships with one another, we're oftentimes receptive in our relationship with God. Or if we're resistant in our relationships with one another, it oftentimes translates to how we're resistant to our relationship with God. And throughout my life, um, I have been uh, in, a, in a struggle and in a process, and, and God has been transforming me to move me from being a resistant person to being open and to be receptive to the work of God in my life and to, to the humility that comes from being yielded to the Spirit. And I'm sure this will probably come as a huge surprise to most of you. Um, you know, there have been a few people throughout my life that have said to me, Jeannie, you have quite a strong personality. Now, I, I know that that comes as great shock in this room today. Um, I once had somebody actually that was looking over a personality assessment of mine that I had taken and they were like reviewing our whole team and they were reading through, you know, and helping us understand our personalities. And, and this guy was like a professional, like reader of personalities. I don't know what his job was, but he knew how to read these tests. And, uh, and he was reading through the characteristics and he said, you know, Jeannie, these two characteristics here in your personality, they're really, really important. He said, you know, here you've got this strength and this strength is called command. It's a really great strength and it's really awesome. He said, over here, you also have this strength and this strength is called woo. And see, if you didn't have woo, you wouldn't have any friends. And I was like, for real? He's like, yeah, for real. It's really important. And I was like, geez, thanks for telling me the truth. Like, you know, and so, you know, he was expressing to me that I, I had had this strong personality and that there were parts that needed to be softened. And I remember one of my first jobs, um, I remember uh, I had this boss 
And him and I, we, on a regular basis, we really struggled with one another. In fact, I think that even in the most perfect of settings, like I think about heaven, and uh, I, I think that even in heaven, God would have chosen to put our mansions in two entirely different subdivisions. Um, we just, we had tension with one another and friction, and, um, and God actually used uh, this guy in my life to really grow me and to really change me. Um, but we regularly struggled, and I remember one day, um, he said, you know, Jeannie, I think we need to talk. Can you come in? Can you meet, can you meet with me in my office? And so um, I went in, and we met, and he said, you know, I just, I just don't think this is working out. This, just, this combination, I just don't think this is working out. I, I think we need to find another department for you. I remember thinking to myself, you can't do that. Like, I'm not going to another department. Resistance, see, it's, it's been a struggle of mine. And, um, and, and I remember thinking, like, he can't do that. I, I mean, like, he can't just, like, move me to another department. He's, like, trying to fire me or something. And I thought, you know, maybe what I need to do is I need to inform his supervisor of what's really happening here. Like, his supervisor probably has no idea that, you know, we've got this tension, that, you know, things aren't going so well here. And so I remember, you know, making an appointment with the supervisor and asking to meet with him. And um, I remember going and sitting in his office and, like, painting the situation for him and explaining to him that I had a better alternative as to how I thought, you know, we could work the situation out. And, and I was explaining it to him and, um, and he just sort of looked at me and he said, you know, Jeannie, you know, I, I think you're right. I don't think going to another department is what's best for this next season of your life. In fact, I think maybe what would be best for this next season is if you, if you maybe went back to school. And I was like, huh, you know, like I hadn't thought about that. You know, that's, a, that's an option. And, and I literally, in the moment, I started thinking, like, this guy must really, like, believe in me. He must think that I have some potential. He must think that, you know, I've got some leadership skills that need to be developed. And, you know, if I enrolled myself into a really great master's program, it, I would really grow this and I would really, you know, start to advance. And, um, and he interrupted my naive thinking and he said, um, you know, what, what I'm thinking, Jeannie, is um, that what would be best for you is if you were to take this next season of your life and to really enroll yourself into the graduate school of character. And this was my response. I had no words. I said nothing. And he lovingly affirmed me. He encouraged me in the moment. He actually instilled quite a bit of belief in me in that moment. But he very clearly said to me in that moment, very firmly, very lovingly, but with a lot of strength. He said, if you continue to live like everyone else is the problem, you will never reach all that God has for you in your life. Jeannie, if you if you would just receive this as an invitation from God to enroll yourself into this school and to receive his loving discipline in your life, I promise you this. I promise you this. You will never be sorry and you will not believe how much you will grow. And he prayed for me and that was the end of the meeting. And I remember walking out of his office 
And it was without a doubt, I was clear that it was the loving discipline of God in my life. I knew very clearly in that moment that I had two routes that I could go. That I could either receive this as a word from God and really listen and humble myself in the sight of the Lord and heed his counsel and begin to do the very hard work of unearthing some things in my character, or I could stay resistant and I could continue to grow my arrogance. I could continue to grow my ability of blaming others. I could continue to grow my ability to rationalize situations. And I'm so, so, so grateful that in that moment, the Holy Spirit prompted me enough to choose to be receptive. And it was not easy. In fact, for a while, the route of being receptive actually felt more painful. But the growth that emerged in my life due to that season literally changed my life. My presence changed. The way that I interact with people changed. My openness to the Holy Spirit changed. My vulnerability changed. My marriage was impacted. Friendships were changed. There were hard edges in my life that God literally just took a loving spiritual piece of sandpaper and just started smoothing out those edges. And God's discipline in my life was so incredibly loving. And I had to be receptive. My question to you today is, are you receptive? Are you receptive to God or are you resistant to his discipline? This passage in Hebrews, it goes on to say that while we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. But later, of course, it pays off handsomely. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And this passage, it ends by saying that when you are going through discipline, it never feels fun. It never feels like it's a party. But there is always fruit that comes from it. It pays off. The translation of the Bible in front of you, it says that it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. I mean, who wouldn't want a harvest of righteousness and peace in their life? I don't think there's a single person that wouldn't desire that. But as Jarrett taught us last week, when it comes to our desires, there are things that we want, and then there are things that we really, really want, aren't there? And you think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve exercised the first form of resistance and disobedience to God. God had to extend his first discipline to humans. It's sort of the first recorded timeout in history, right? And humans have been responding with similar characteristics of that of Adam and Eve for thousands and thousands of years. We are notorious, we are notorious for sabotaging the transformation process when it comes to discipline. And when God's loving discipline is coming into our lives, we try to find any possible way to sabotage it, to keep it from coming into our lives. One of the first ways that we do it is through denial. 
Denial comes from not admitting the truth about a problem. It's the person on the list that we just looked at a few minutes ago that doesn't really care what others see or what they think. They just sort of live in denial that that they have any responsibility. So when God lovingly disciplines through a circumstance or through the gift of another person speaking the truth into their life, they're quick to say, you know, I don't do that. That's not me. And they just sort of move on. And they choose denial. Another way that we sabotage God's discipline is through rationalization. We try to sabotage God's discipline by rationalizing it away, don't we? We make excuses for our problems to avoid being blamed. You know, we may be open to admit that there's a problem, but there's an unwillingness to take any responsibility for it. And so we start to rationalize it. Another way that we do that is through blame. We sabotage God's discipline on our life. And, and this is classic behavior. If, if anyone's a parent in this room or you've been around uh, a parent or if you have siblings, you probably grew up saying this. You know, when a parent is, is disciplining two children, oftentimes what ends up happening is the siblings start saying, well, well, it's, it's her. She started it. Or it's him. He's the one that started this whole thing. And you go all the way back to Genesis 3. That's the same behavior of Adam, isn't it? I mean, he's like, literally, God, seriously, I don't know how I got in this situation. It's her. She's the one that pulled the apple off the tree. You know, and, and, and blaming goes all the way back to the garden. And any of these things, any of these things, whether it's denial or rationalization or blaming, all of these keep us hidden from God. They keep us hidden from God. And at some point, if you're honest with yourself or if you're honest with God, you've probably done all three. I know I have. And it may not be big, broad strokes of, of blatant disobedience, but it's in the subtleties where you resist the discipline of God in your life. And oftentimes, I find that if I'm being resistant to God, it shows up in how I'm resistant to people. It's usually a telltale sign to me that if I'm resistant to God in any way in my life, I often can see that I'm also being resistant to people. Maybe it's a boss or a coworker. They come and challenge you, and, and your first response is to just sort of be annoyed or aggravated with them instead of being open or humble or receptive. Or you know that maybe the Lord is inviting you to forgive someone that has hurt you in the past. And instead of letting go and, and walking through a forgiveness process, you choose to stay strong and you choose to stay mad because it gives you more strength and you just keep blaming them for the problem and you choose to stay unreconciled. Or maybe you have a disagreement with your spouse and they bring up an area where maybe you forgot something or you know, something, something went wrong and it was a misunderstanding. And instead of just owning it, and saying, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Instead, you look for an area where they failed so that you can minimize your contribution to the problem. And it's a way to rationalize your behavior. Or maybe for you, it's, it's in a small, subtle way, but your life is really full, it's really busy, 
You have a lot going on. Your schedule is it's complex and it's, you know, it's, a lot is compacted into it. And there is a friend that you know you need to call. You, ne- you need to make time to be with them. But you just can't seem to do it. And so instead of going to them and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm really sorry. You're really important to me. And, and my actions have not communicated that. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Instead of doing that, what you do is you just continue to live your life the way that you have and you rationalize your behavior and you just say, well, this is it. This is my life. I'm busy and I, I, I can't make any changes to it. Or, or maybe you're fully aware of, of an addiction in your life and you know that it's hindering your growth, but you rationalize that it's just, it's just not the right time for you to do the hard work and, and surrendering it over to God. You, you're not sure where to start or where to go or, or who to invite into it, so you just sort of say, like, now's not the time. I'm not going to deal with it. Maybe one day, and you just sort of let the addiction carry on in your life. And whenever God disciplines us, whenever God disciplines us, it is always loving. It is through the heart of a loving parent. And the question for you today is, are you receptive to his discipline? Are you open to his discipline in your life? And we're going to spend a few minutes worshiping God now and the band's going to come up here and we're going to spend a few minutes just reflecting and contemplating how God is at work in our lives and and what he's saying to us. But some of you, there is a foundational truth that you need to hear tonight. And that truth is that God is never, ever out to get you. He is never desirous of hurting you. He never stands watch hoping that you'll screw up or make a mistake in your life. And for many of you here today, what you most need to be reminded of is that you are loved. You are loved. You are loved by God. You are rationally loved. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And you desperately, desperately need to hear that. That even in the midst of whatever loving discipline that God is inviting you into, that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a loving parent in God and he disciplines his children because he loves his children. You are so unbelievably loved by God if for just a second you were to grasp how deep his love is for you his love is for me 
We have a loving parent, a loving parent that disciplines us because he longs for us to become all that he created us to be. One of the things that we say around here all the time is that everyone is accepted, but everyone is expected to grow, right? That none of us is where we should be. That God wants to help us grow, and he disciplines us through his love so that we will grow. And discipline is necessary for transformation. You cannot be transformed outside of the process of discipline. It's impossible. And I want to pray for us right now. And I want to invite some of us in this room to just take a risk with me, to take a step. And I don't think we've ever done this here at Soul City before. But some of you tonight, you know, you know that God is lovingly disciplining an area of your life. And your tendency is resistance. And you're good at maybe making excuses or blaming or rationalizing. And you know that God is moving you to choose to be receptive to him. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe it's with your future. I don't know what it is. But you know that you need to move from resistance to receptiveness. And what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you to just stand right where you're at as a way of of physically saying, God, I want to be open to you. I don't want to be resistant. I don't want to put up walls. I want my heart to be soft. And I want to be receptive. I want to be open to the loving kindness of God's discipline in my life. And so if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to stand right now if you want to be open to the receptiveness of God. A couple weeks ago, Gigi was having a moment that required some significant discipline. And there were a lot of tears, and she was really sad, and she was really upset. And when all of that was over, I had her scooch over in her bed, and I got into bed with her, and we snuggled up. And I was holding her, and I was telling her how much I love her, and how proud I am of her, and how grateful I am to be her mommy. And she said, Mommy, can I tell you a secret? I said, yeah, babe, what do you want to tell me? She said, come here, give me your ear. And so I, you know, I leaned down. She said, Mommy, I never stopped loving you. And I know the reason she said that is because she was just repeating back to me what she's heard for the last three years that she's lived on this planet that her mommy and daddy are crazy about her, that we love her, that there is nothing that she can do that will ever keep us from not loving her. 
And that is how the Father sees you. He loves you. There is nothing, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. And when we respond to God with a receptive heart, we say back to our Father, we say back to our Father that loves us so much, I love you too. I've never stopped loving you, even in your discipline of me. And so God, right now, we come before you in our hearts, in our hands, in our minds, in our bodies. We hold them open to you, God. Thank you for the loving reminder that you discipline your children because you love them. And so we stand before you now, God, with our hearts and our lives open to you. We stand asking you to make us receptive to the work of your spirit in our lives. We stand confessing our sin and acknowledging that we have chosen to deny responsibility, to rationalize our behavior, to blame others. We stand in repentance, Father, with a desire to live out truth in our lives. And we stand as a way of submitting to you our good Father that disciplines his children that he loves. And God, we ask that you would make us receptive, that you would make us open, that you would make us humble, and that you would make us honest. And we trust that perfect love is what sets us free. And we choose your freedom here today, Father. And we pray this in your name. Amen.